You're listening to the Brand Builders Lab, episode 34. Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. We're learning how to create an epic brand, find the right marketing strategies that work, and building your business is a constant evolution, classroom, and lab. Each week, we'll be diving into all things brand and marketing with special guests and solo episodes to help you build your business brand and big idea. Hey, hey, welcome back to the podcast. It is awesome to have you here. Thanks for hanging out. Oh, I hope you've had a good week. I went away on holidays. It was awesome to a bit of sun and surf, which always recharges the batteries. And I'm raring and ready to go. Are you ready for the last quarter of the year? Yeah? We're going to be talking about financials and planning and so much more in the upcoming uh, podcast episodes before we end the year off. So, that you can get raring and ready to go for 2019. Crazy, but true. Now, today on the podcast, I've got a treat for you. I am chatting with Hannah Spilver, who is one half of the chief co-founders of Lovely, spelt L-V-L-Y. Now, if you're on the East Coast of Australia, then you may have heard of them. They are a gift delivery service but with over 20,000 Instagram followers, you may know them no matter where you live. Now, Lovely was basically conceived with one simple purpose, to create more happy surprises for people, more smiles, more fun by supporting local producers and designers and delivering their lovely gifts across the East Coast of Australia for now but you never know where they're going to end up soon. Now, one of the things that I really loved about Lovely and one of the reasons why I wanted to interview the founders of the business is that I love what they do. Yeah, I love their products. I love the service. I love the packaging. I love the branding. It's just really unique. And I think also as a small business owner, one of their main philosophies is affordable gifting so that if you're just thinking about somebody, you can send them a gift. It starts at $39, but you could send a beautiful gift of flowers, hand cream, cookies, coffee, chocolate, so much more. It can be delivered on the same day and it can be something like $69, $79, $99. Now, as small business owners and as a brand consultant, I talk about brand experience all the time and sending your clients or giving your customers a really great experience. So having affordable things that you can send to them so that you can do it more often rather than just every now and again, I think is super important and it's so great. So if you're not in Australia, then I think it's always worth checking out how you can send beautiful gifts, cards, things like that to your clients. So in this episode, Hannah and I are talking about how they started the business, their story, and how they built their Instagram following as well, plus so much more. We really get honest about business, which I am all about. I love having really honest conversations about the fact that it is hard, it takes time, but to be honest, we just wouldn't have it any other way. So I think that you're going to get so much out of this. Hannah's really upfront and honest about 
their growth, what they did, what issues they had and where they struggled along the way, and some really great tips on how they are keeping on track now and how they're about to grow their business in the future. So I don't want to hang on anymore. I want to dive into this one. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. I'd love to know your thoughts. Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you love to check in. And I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. Hannah, welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. I know, you too. So we were just saying, I think the last time I saw you was probably at least three years ago. Uh, it was at a one roof co-working day in Fitzroy. And you had just, maybe not just started lovely, but it was kind of in its infancy at that point. It was. I think we were only about six months in at that point. So looking back, knew absolutely nothing. <laughs> I know. Amazing. And now when I look at the business, it just looks amazing. I use it for gifts for my clients. Uh, and it's just so beautiful, everything that you guys do. So today we're going to be talking about how you built the business and how you built your brand because now it just feels like it's so big. I don't know how you feel about it. I think, um, well, thank you for all the lovely compliments. Um, I think one of the things is, um, so Verity, my co-founder and I, we don't often take enough time to kind of stop and look back at where we're at and what we've achieved because we're so focused on where we're headed and executing the next thing. But I guess, yeah, I mean, since we met, we've, you know, we've come a long way. We've done a lot of things. We've grown from being just a same day gift delivery company in Melbourne to launching um, our own office in Sydney. We also launched a national next day delivery service, um, which we operate out of our Melbourne office. And last week we just launched a same day service in Brisbane. So, yes, I guess you could say we've come a long way when you look back at it like that. We've been busy. <laughs> Absolutely, but it's awesome. So for those people who don't know about Lovely, give us a little bit of a breakdown of what it is that you do, who you do it for, and why you do it. Sure, okay. So Lovely is an online business. We are a same-day gift delivery company. Um, we sell a lot of... Um, curated gift boxes and fresh flowers. Fresh flowers make up quite a big part of what we do. The idea came about for the business when Verity and I met as colleagues working for an advertising agency mm -hmm. in Sydney. So we started working together probably, oh God, I don't know, maybe seven years ago. We were working for an agency called Isobath, a digital agency. We um, were working on the David Jones account, Oh, and loved working in online retail and had a lot of fun um, and gained a bit of experience in the online retail um, category, I guess. Bez and I, after working in, you know, we'd both been in advertising for maybe close to a decade each and just really wanted to change, wanted something different, had always thought about doing something for ourselves. And so it just felt like a natural time to take a leap and do something different in our careers. The, the big question was, what? But what, what do we do? Um, Verity was really keen to do something with fresh flowers. Um, I was really keen to build a brand from the ground up. Um, I came from a kind of strategic 
creative background and felt really passionate about building brands, building brands with a purpose. And I'd been working um, in the background on, um, I guess, a, a concept around a brand called Lovely. So had developed the name, had thought about the kind of playful tone of voice in terms of, you know, have a lovely day, you lovely thing, you lovely fucker. So I kind of started to build up this idea of what the lovely brand could be, but I didn't necessarily, you know, see it coming to life with flowers. So Vaz and I then worked closely to kind of combine both of the ideas we'd been working on into this much bigger idea of a same-day gift and flower delivery company, um, which we would call Lovely. And that's kind of how the idea came about. We were both, the reason the gifting thing came into play was we were both living away from home at the time. Vaz was from Melbourne, I'm from the UK. We're living in Bondi together, both quite homesick and looking for really simple, affordable ways that we could send a little something to our friends and family back home to let them know we were missing them. And we couldn't find anything that kind of hit the mark. There were very overpriced gifts, um, very... I guess, cliched, old-fashioned gifts that were lacking personality, but nothing that we really felt good about sending. And that's where this idea of simple, affordable gifting came about. And we very much wanted to create a range that people could send just because. So it wasn't so expensive that you had to wait for an occasion like a birthday or an anniversary. If you had a friend that was having a shit day at work or if you were missing your mum, it was affordable enough just to not think about sending it. So that's kind of where it all came about. Awesome. And I have to say that is one of the things that I love about it is that the, well, the same day delivery is awesome because if something happens on that day and I do order before one o'clock, I know that they're going to get it. And also the affordability is great as well because as small businesses, to surprise and delight our clients or like you said, to send something to family members, you want to do it often, but because normally it is so expensive to do, it's not something you can always do, which is another reason why I love what you guys do because I love the fact that I can customise my box and I can pick bits and pieces of what I want that I think that person will love and, and it is something that's super affordable. And as a small business, that's great. Yeah, it's, it's the just because thing is a really big focus. Yeah. Since day one, in fact, the, the driving purpose behind our company, I mean, the gifts are just a facilitator, right? But the driving purpose is we're all about helping and encouraging people to make someone's day and yeah. make someone's day just because. Um, I've heard a lot recently about this whole phrase, kindfulness is the new mindfulness. Oh, nice. And that's really what we've been driving since day one of our business, just helping Helping, I guess, being a brand that helps people be kind in a really simple and affordable way. Uh, it's not that hard to make people smile. And we've realized that, you know, small things like sending a, a $39 gift to somebody can have a huge impact. And so we, we, we feel really passionate about, about encouraging that. Yeah, and I love that as well. And I think that that is definitely something that a lot of, people in general, not just small business owners, would really resonate with too. Yeah. Because you want to you be able to make people's day who, who are in your community, who are your clients, who are, you know, just connected to you generally. Definitely. And I think we, we try and stay really true as a company to bringing that 
purpose to life. I think it's very easy to say, you know, oh, we, we encourage random acts of kindness and we encourage people to gift just because, but I think you've also got to walk the walk as a brand for that to be authentic. So there's lots of little things that we do to try and bring that to life. One of which is every single week we set aside a certain number of gifts to literally hit the streets on a Friday afternoon and hand out to people for free. So this is something we... I saw this on Instagram a little while ago where you were giving people flowers and I was just like, that's so gorgeous. Launched. And it's And weirdly, it's not something that we've really started talking about that much until recently. And we, we kind of had this moment where we were like, we've been doing this every week and it makes us feel good and it makes the people we give the gifts to feel good. But we should really start sharing this story to show that we are kind of walking the walk. So we have started talking more on social recently about this is something that we actually do. And I think the impact it has on the people that receive the gifts in the street randomly, you know, you can actually see that their, their faces are beaming. Like it genuinely makes people's day. And, and so it's a really, it's a really feel good thing. Awesome. Awesome. So you were talking about the fact that you had really thought about this brand lovely and what you wanted it to be. And one of the things that I really do love about uh, the business and the brand is the brand voice. It's a little bit cheeky. <laughs> it's funny. So where has that sort of come from? Is that from you? Is that a brand voice that you've sort of created based on what you want the business to be? Um, I think it's just a very, um, it's a very real tone of voice. Like I think, I, I mean, I, I write a lot of the copy, so I guess I've definitely helped set the direction of the cheekiness and playfulness of the brand. Yeah. Um, but it's, I guess it's something we fine-tuned over the years and that I, you know, it's definitely been, a, it's been a collaboration and a team effort. We've all contributed to how this brand has come to life because I'm a big believer in um, every facet of your company inside and out makes up the total sum of your brand. It's not about a logo. It's not about the name. It's not just about the tone of voice, but it's also about every single thing you put out into the world. It's about your product. So Vaz has been um, really in charge with the direction of all of our floral products. She's our, you know, she's our posy making master and she's really defined the creative aesthetic of our floral products. So that is a big part of what our brand now stands for our customer services team and how they deal with customers. I mean, obviously we give them, we have set a very clear direction. There's a very big focus on customer service and we want to offer world-class customer service. We have a set of guidelines that the team use to guide them. But ultimately we say, if you need to break our own rules to make a customer's day, break them. Because we sh- our entire business and everything we do should be driven by our purpose of making people smile and making their day. So we, we, we give them guidelines, but if they have to break them, so be it. But that customer service that they deliver is the brand. So I think, you know, a brand is really made up, the, made up of the sum of all its parts. And that can even include things like the platform that you build your website on. And if that's running really slowly one day, then that slow web experience that customers see is a manifestation of your brand so you know i i definitely can't take credit for for setting the entire 
direction of the brand and bringing it to life. But that was certainly, it's certainly um, something that I've helped drive within the business. And when it comes to, because like you said at the beginning, you know, your experience has been that to buy gifts and send gifts and that is quite an expensive experience or, you know, it costs quite a bit. Did you look at the market? Did you, did you sort of map out competitors or did you just have a gut feel that this was something that was really needed and you went for it? What was your, I guess, pre-launch look at the market and where you were going to sit in that as far as your brand positioning went? Um, yeah, so all of the above, really, in terms of what you mentioned. So absolutely, we had a look at uh, competitors, competitors of a kind. I mean, at the time when we launched, there was no doing a gifting thing. Um, there was there was roses only. There was Interflora, who were you know purely purely focused on being online florists. So they they weren't really the same as lovely, but they were probably the closest thing we had to being a competitor. Mm. And when you're looking at the kind of you know um, entry level price points and the cost of their goods, we were we were less than half the cost of those. So yes. Mm. We kept a close eye on who was out there and what were they doing and how could we be better and how could we be different. But at the same time, I think a big learning curve for us was when we were setting our entry price point, which when we launched was $30, um, that entry price point was very much driven by gut instinct and intuition on kind of what felt right. And there definitely wasn't enough due diligence and quite frankly, basic maths behind, but is that going to be a profitable entry price? <laughs> we kind of, you know, we hit the ground running and we grew very organically and, and intentionally so. We didn't, we didn't promote our business a lot because we knew that we were probably going to make some mistakes and we had a lot of fine-tuning fine, fine to do before we really pushed it. And our entry price point was definitely something we got wrong to begin with because it wasn't actually a sustainable um, pricing strategy to, to build the business. So we have had to refine that. We still have an entry price point of $39. Um, but what's been really interesting is I think over time, our customers have actually told us um, through what they're spending on our site what affordability means to them. And interestingly, it's much higher than $39. Now, we've, we've stayed true to that entry-level price point because we think it's really important when we're talking about affordable gifting. But ultimately, our customers have told us over four years that um, they're willing to spend more than that. So it's been an, it's been an interesting learn, learning curve and we've adjusted our pricing strategy and our product range accordingly. Awesome. And so like you were saying, when you started out... Uh, you know, you were just coming in at that, that price point. Were both of you still working? Had you both left your jobs to start the business? Like what was your work situation when you first started? So it, it, it's a really interesting story actually. And, it, and I believe having told it a couple of times, it's fairly unique. So we, yeah, we were both working in advertising when we started on this whole journey I was sponsored by my employee. So I, I was kind of, I guess, in a situation where I was able to reduce my work to part-time, but I couldn't go into lovely full-time. Um, whereas Verity was at a crossroads in her career where she just wanted to go into this thing full throttle. So we agreed that she would go in full-time. I would be in the business um, part-time. But obviously what that creates is a complexity because we're going into this thing as 50-50 partners and as co-founders, 
but in terms of energy and time and hours on a day-to-day basis, um, our scenarios look slightly different. So that was, that was a challenge. That was really hard. And I think it was harder than we ever thought it would be um, because, you, you know, you're filled with this, you know, um, enormous sense of enthusiasm and, and positivity and anything's possible and you just want to start this thing. But, you know, it was the first time either of us had launched a business and it's bloody hard work. And the idea of running your own business versus the reality of running your own business it's, it's like night and day, <laughs> but you don't know that until you start. So it was very difficult um, in the early days with Vez being full-time and myself being part-time. So one of the things we did, I guess, to create a sense of fairness and equal equity was that um, we actually salary shared. So, and it was, it's kind of like, it's, a bit, it's like being a married couple, basically. So what we did was, we were at the stage where Verity couldn't draw a wage from the business because it was in its infancy. So whatever money I was making from my part-time role, I gave 50% to Verity. So wow. having a kind of <laughs> quite unusual financial arrangement, we found very quickly a sense of fairness, which meant that you know if I wasn't able to work in the business five days a week, Albeit, you know, we were still working on it before work together, after work together and over the weekends. At least there was a financial arrangement that helped, um, I guess, balance out the discrepancy in hours. And that worked amazingly well for us. Um, And that kind of got us through right up until the stage where I was then able to jump into the business full time. Um, Wow, that is really unique. Looking back. And so were you, you were both living together, you were saying, in Bondi? Well, we, so when we came up with the idea for Lovely um, and how the business was kind of going to roll out, we were living together in Bondi, but to launch the business, we moved back to Melbourne because uh, Vez's family's from Melbourne, so she had a support network here. My partner at the time, who's now my husband, was living in Melbourne and kind of all roads really were pointing us to starting this business in Melbourne. So... Um, when we launched the business, we were no longer housemates um, because we'd, we'd just relocated. Very good. And so I've just got so many questions. But anyway, <laughs> it's just, I love your honesty about it as well because, like you said, what you think starting a business is like and actually starting a business are two very, very different things. And I do think that uh, it is a lot harder than people think. It's kind of like, yay, let's start a business. This is going to be amazing. And, you know, and then a month or six months later, we're all going to be profitable and it's going to be great. Uh, And that's not really the reality of it. So when you started the business and you were growing, you said that you were really growing organically initially. When did you start to, I guess, look at your marketing strategy as far as more paid advertising or partnerships or collaborations? Like what was your growth strategy once you feel like you had sort of figured the pricing part of it out? Um, well, back in the early days, I mean, it was really driven through word of mouth, through our own social channels, through PR, which was really generated through, I don't know, me borderline harassing editors of, <laughs> of you know, local online publications, lots of free gifts, as you can imagine. Um, but PR definitely, so we got covered early days in broadsheet, concrete playground, urban list, and we got covered by them more than once. And that absolutely 
have an impact on the business. You could see through the traffic and the sales on the site that it would double, triple if we got covered. Amazing. Um, but also one of our growth tactics from day one was to collaborate with other local brands who were selling products that were trending. So what I mean by trending is, um, I'm sure you'll remember a few years back, there was suddenly a craze for donuts. Donuts became a thing that... <laughs> were weirdly trendy, you know, and they've been something that you've grown up with. They were always that guilty snack as a kid and suddenly donuts are trendy. Um, yeah. No doubt driven by the cafe culture in Melbourne, but we kind of, we, we saw that opportunity in the market as, an, an, as a gifting company approached a local um, donut brand in Melbourne called Shortstop Donuts um, and came up with this kind of campaign around donuts on demand. So we went to Broadsheet and we said, look, we're going to launch this campaign. We're going to be the only company in Australia that will deliver donuts to people's um, desks and doorsteps, same day on demand. Will you cover it? And so they, they loved it and they covered it. And so from day one, we always had a lot of luck by trying to come up with those sort of newsworthy, interesting uh, campaigns and tactics that were based on products that were trending and that things people would want to read about online. And it worked really well for us. Um, it's only recently in the last year that we've actually started to invest in paid media um, because we started to see that our... Or our, our organic marketing and own channels had taken us so far and we realized that the growth was starting to slow and that's when we really needed to start start investing in paid media okay and so what have you done around I guess uh, nurturing your customer base and your community base do you have an active strategy around that um, we don't one of the things that we're working on introducing at the moment is a loyalty and rewards program So it's something in the past we've done in a very ad hoc way I mean, we've we focused on building community at a very grassroots level in terms of Engaging our customers through things like workshops So we, we introduced a series of workshops where we could actually invite customers in to you know learn how to make posies and so that was always created with the intention of nurturing our community and our customers and getting to know them better. We've done, we do things like the um, random acts of kindness on a Friday to help foster that sense of community around the brand, but we've not ever really introduced a strategic long-term effort to um, create a loyalty program, which is something that we're working on at the moment. Very good. And now your Instagram is sitting at just over 20,000. How have you grown your socials as well? Has that been really organic or has that been something that you've really focused quite heavily on? No, it's, I mean, yes, I think to do social well, you have to focus really heavily on it regardless. Um, it's been a hard slog. To create good content is no easy feat. It takes a lot of focus and effort. Um, we're lucky that we've got an uh, amazing team of people who are very good at it um, but it's you know it's taken us three and a half years to grow that following and we haven't ever paid for followers so we could have grown that a lot quicker um, but we decided from very early on that having you know a really big social following was only ever going to be useful if they were engaged and if they were people who were genuinely interested in your brand so there's definitely companies out there 
who've popped up, who are doing a similar thing to us, who've grown their following quickly, um, more quickly. It's pretty easy to pay for followers. But, you know, is that actually going to help grow your business in the long term? Not really. It's just a number on Instagram. So unless you can see that converting into sales or engagement, then, it, you know, it's not, really, it's not really a good use of your time. Yeah. And have you used Zoe's stories, like since stories sort of came out or IGTV or like where do you sort of feel like you're getting the most engagement? Is it still in the main feed or are you guys diversifying the content that you are creating and putting out there? I think you've always got to diversify because, you know, nobody's ever got their social media or content strategy perfect because social media is constantly changing. So you're always learning and you're always changing. And if you're not, then you'll quickly see your engagement levels drop and you'll become irrelevant. So, you know, we used to see a lot of engagement in our main feed. As soon as Instagram introduced stories, lovely like lots of other brands started to see that engagement dropping. We focused a lot um, on introducing great content for stories. That's absolutely helped with our engagement. But we're constantly evolving and having to change our strategy. Uh, it's just a, it's a never ending journey. Yeah, absolutely. And so over the last three years, I mean, like you said, the business has grown. How many people have you got in the business now? We've got 10 people, uh, here in Melbourne. We've got three in Sydney and we've got, um, a small team who we partnered with in Brisbane. So yeah, there's about 13, 13 people. Wow. That's amazing. can't believe it. <laughs> and so what what are the key business lessons that you kind of feel that you've learned that you could kind of share with other other business owners who are obviously in that growth stage as well? Because the majority of our audience are women in business who, you know, are definitely looking to grow their businesses as well. So what are some of the things you've learned? Gosh, we've learned so many things. I think um where to start i think the first thing is going back to a point we covered before starting your own business always seems like a great idea on paper but the reality of running a small business is that it's it's brutal and it's very very hard uh i think a lot of people have a false expectation of you go into it you're the master of your own destiny you set your own hours you have flexible working Yes and no is the reality. Um, one of the, I mean, one of the downsides that people don't talk about is, sure, you might create more flexible working hours, but you are never, ever, ever disconnected from your business. Um, so you never truly have any downtime when you can disconnect. Both Verity and I have had our first children over the last kind of two and a half years. Verity had a little girl two years ago. I had a little boy 10 months ago. There's no such thing as maternity leave in a startup. We're very, very lucky that we had a business partner in each other that we could rely on who could pick up the slack when we both took a bit of time off, you know, initially after having our first child. But even then, you're not disconnected from the business. So it is a massive mental and physical drain and you can get burnt out very easily. So taking care of yourself mentally as well as physically I think is really really important Um, and in terms of you know becoming the master of your own destiny 
Not really, because it, it depends on, are people going to buy your product or service that you're selling? And therefore, are you going to make enough money to cover all the bills? It's pretty stressful, you know. There's a lot to be said for working in a company where you're on a, a, a reliable, consistent salary. You can actually plan a lot more <laughs> than, than working in, in the world of startups. Um, but having said that, it's absolutely the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. Um, and I can't ever imagine being an employee again. So I, I definitely wouldn't discourage people from doing it, but I think you need to go into it with your eyes wide open. Um, I think another thing I've learned is you're only as good as the team you build around you. So finding and investing in really good people early on is critical. Verity and I were definitely guilty as most startup owners of not pulling ourselves up above the day-to-day -day quickly enough. We spent an awful lot of time and quite frankly, sometimes still do, being swept up by the doing of the day-to-day. -day. And what that means is you absolutely take your eyes off whether it's for, you know, an hour or for two days or for two weeks, you take your eyes off what's happening next and how, you, how you're going to get there. So I think the quicker you can build up a team around you, and, and when I say building up a team, you know, in the beginning, that might just be hiring an intern for three months. It's, um, you, you're not always in a position where you can hire, you know, two or three people to help build your business, but there are ways that you can get the support you need to focus on the right things. So I think, that's, I think that's critical and really important. And focusing on, as you're building that team, creating a culture that people really want to be part of. So one of the things that Verity and I took away from our career, career in advertising at Isobar is the values within your company and the culture that they help build are critical to engaging people and actually building a company that people want to be part of for the long term. So creating our company values is something we spend a lot of time doing. And I think because of that, we've got a team who love coming in to work every day. And so thinking about those things from the start is really important, but they're often the things that get missed. Yeah. And can I just ask on that, because you talk about obviously when you're in the doing, you don't, you kind of lose the ability to be seeing what's next. How have you kind of managed the planning of the business for the future? Uh, one of the best things we've done was to appoint some advisors. So we have got two amazing advisors on board at the moment, uh, one of whom has had their own startup and sold their own startup. They know a lot about digital, so understand the space we're in. And the other advisor um, was actually an ex-client of ours, David Jones. He was on the board of directors for DJs for about, I think, nearly 20 years. So he knows Australian retail inside out. So having these two people to help hold Bez and I accountable to A, having a plan, <laughs> and then B, sticking, sticking to that plan. I mean, plans always change, right? So we're very open to the fact that we'll need to pivot and evolve and change things. But just making sure that we've got people that we check in with every single month to go, where are you tracking? How are the finances looking? What's next? Where, where are you in terms of what we said we'd achieve this month has been absolutely life-changing. Um, so when did they start with you? And can I ask, 
uh, is that a paid relationship or is that just a like a mentor relationship that you've had from before? What's the setup? Yeah, so it started, we introduced the advisors to the company officially 18 months ago. Um, prior to that, they had been working with us in more of a, I guess, unofficial mentor capacity, which was still useful, but we found didn't really um, have the same level of accountability as they now demand from us. So 18 months ago, we created uh, an advisory board in a more official capacity, and it is actually a time for equity arrangement. So we have made it official. So there's something in it for them as well. That's amazing. That's great because I think that a lot of small businesses do just run on their own and don't really have that accountability or, or somebody that they can go to, I guess, on a regular basis. So, yeah, having that relationship. And how did you choose those people? Well, I know that you were saying one was an ex-client um, that you've had before, but how did you decide who you were going to choose? Um, I think part, part strategic, part gut feel. The gut feel bit I think is really important because you've got to choose people who you think you're going to work well with, obviously who you respect. And so part of it was a chemistry thing. And then part of it was at the time, 18 months ago, going, what are the areas in the business that we really need help with? And therefore, what are the skill sets that are going to help drive that? So one of them was scaling. Cool, let's find somebody who's scaled a business before and who really understands that, which is where we were focused on. Let's get an advisor who's lived and breathed the startup world set up, scaled and sold a business. And then the other one was things around like just getting our pricing strategy right for retail, looking at how we get the most efficient inventory management services in place. So really understanding the operational side of retail. And that's where our other advisor who had the background, um, David Jones, came in. So there was two things. is that kind of gut feel and chemistry. Will we work well together? And then there's that strategic what skills do we need in the business and how do we find somebody that can bring those to the table? That's awesome. I think that's such a great thing for us to think about, like as small business owners as well, is to really take a look at who can support us, but in a real way like that, who can give us advice based on their experience and what they've done successfully before. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Amazing. So what's in your future? What's the next thing for Lovely? <laughs> Well, we're a week in from launching Brisbane, so at the moment we're just draw, we're kind of you know catching our breath from that. Um, but the, we're really excited about launching in Brisbane because we've actually launched in Brisbane with a slightly different model. So when you look at Melbourne, we have our own teams in place, we have our own offices, we're orchestrating the entire thing. What we're actually testing in Brisbane is a distribution partnership. So essentially partnering with another company who will dispatch orders on our behalf. So we still manage all of the sales via our website um, and we've created this exclusive part distribution partnership. And so if this works, the reason we're really excited about this, and, and on paper it works, the, the, the financial modelling works, but we want to make sure that 
it runs smoothly from an executional point of view. And if we can get this working really well, it means that we have a proven model where we can roll lovely out in other markets really quickly. And that means other markets in Australia, but it also means potentially markets overseas. So we're really, really excited about seeing how the next few months goes in Brisbane. We're watching it literally by the hour. <laughs> um, kind of troubleshooting anything that come that comes out of it, any problems that come out. But that's really what's next for us. And that's awesome. So that's the big vision is global domination. Pretty much, yeah. As, as, <laughs> as well as as well as lots of other projects we we've got going on, like rolling out a new website, introducing a loyalty program. We're actually um, halfway through developing a brand refresh in the background, so a new look and feel for all of our packaging. So that will be launching early next year. So there's still lots of other tactical things that are going on in the background, um, but the bigger picture is proving this distrib distribution model works because that then will allow us to scale pretty quickly. Awesome, awesome. Well, Hannah, that... I think has I've learned so much just by this conversation. I think it's always awesome to see how businesses are scaling, what you're doing to grow, how you're doing your marketing and branding and what's kind of working, but also just having really honest conversation about what works and what doesn't work as well. I think it's important. I think in this in the startup world there needs to be a lot more really honest conversations about the challenges with startups. Um, you know, we live in a world where startups are kind of the new black and everybody wants to be a founder. And I often find you go to lots of networking events and there's lots of high-fiving and everybody's got a great idea and we all leave feeling really pumped. And then I'm kind of left wondering how many people are still having those high-five moments at the end of every month when they check their P&L. Because my guess is not very many. And I think there needs to be a lot more honest conversation about that element of it. Um, because I actually think through those difficult conversations, we're being a better support to one another by managing people's expectations and equipping them with the knowledge of how bloody hard it can be. I was literally having this conversation with one of my community members yesterday um, about the fact that, you know, we we don't always talk about money and we don't always talk about the time it takes and we don't always talk about how long it, it takes as well to actually get to the place that you potentially really want to be. You know, it's that kind of everybody's an overnight success after 10 years uh, sort yeah. of thing. So I think it's a really important conversation as well. But like you said, with all of the hard stuff, we still love it. We love it. I don't <laughs> do anything differently. <laughs> gluttons for punishment anyway thank you so much for your time now for those who are walking the dog or in the car or wherever where can they find all of your details we'll also have all the links in the show notes awesome well you can find us online at lvly.com.au and follow us on instagram at hello underscore lovely fantastic thank you so much for your time today thank you well, I hope that you enjoyed that chat. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I just feel like I'm having a lot more honest conversations with entrepreneurs and small business owners lately, just around the struggle, the focus on growth, money, uh, managing money, and also really looking at how you manage the juggle and your workload and balance, if that's something that is key for you. And I think that it's really important, like Hannah and I were saying, 
for us to have more of these conversations and for it to be okay to kind of say, you know something, things aren't going great, I really need support. And another uh, thing that I did this week is I caught up for lunch with the lovely Carolyn from OCD, which is Organised Curate Design, and we were talking. uh, And something that I learned from our She Economy event that the Connection Exchange ran in January 2017, I think it was, uh, the general manager of Bank West uh, was talking on our panel and she was just saying that men so easily support each other. They ask each other, you know, how can I help you? Do you need referrals? What can I do for you? And women in business don't do it that much. So I have now made a commitment that when I meet with somebody new or just anybody in my network, it's a question that I ask as often as possible. What can I do to support you? What can I do to help you? And I think that those sorts of questions just show that you're willing to support others. And hopefully that willingness to support others also means that there's a willingness to have honest conversations so that if you really do need something, then somebody can support you and help you. So the next time you're meeting with somebody new or just catching up with another woman in business or another person in business, I would really encourage you to think about the type of conversations that you're having. Are they good, meaty, deep conversations? You know, is it something that you can say to them, you know, can I help you? Is there something I can do to support you? Because I just think that that is what women supporting women is all about. It's not just kind of saying that we support each other. It's not kind of just, you know, saying hi at events, but it's actually getting down into the nitty gritty and saying, you know something, I am here to help you if you need me to. I am here to be part of your community uh, and that's not just lip service. If I can do anything to support you, then I really want you to know. Uh, I really want you to let me know. So I would love you to have a think about that the next time you catch up with somebody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. I loved this chat. Uh, and we've got so much more coming up that's going to be getting down into the nitty gritty of being a bit more honest around building a small business. So until next time, have an awesome week and I'll see you soon.